I really feel like in this Masterpieces series that you need to fill the frame of what God has for your faith and become his work of art in your life. Become his work of art. And if I, if I catch your eyes while I'm preaching, it's just because I'm trying to engage everybody. I'm not just pointing you out, okay? So if I look at you, I'm not trying to read your mail or anything right now. I'm just happy you're here. And when I'm preaching, I'm looking out going, there's, there's a masterpiece. There's a masterpiece and there's a masterpiece. And so today we talk about a mess to masterpiece. How many think that even though the Lord calls you a masterpiece, you feel like you look around and all you see is a mess at times? Anybody want to agree? You just, you're like, how is this mess going to become that masterpiece? And I want you to know it's only in the framework of salvation, and it's only in the framework that God puts in your life to save and sanctify you. Amen? Hey, I, I believe that God has given you enough faith to fit your frame. And God wants to put you in it and show you off to the world and hang you on the walls of heaven someday. It's an analogy. He's not really going to hang you on the walls. That hook is for Rob. When I was a youth pastor, we, we would take people to the walls. So that's what happens in my head whenever I say that. Let's go to the text, though. You're standing. I realize that. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1. And I'm reading out of a different translation, but I'm going to read off. I'm going to read off the uh, the Bible in the sky here. Now Moses kept the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. Everyone say desert. He lived in a dry place, and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Everybody say, hmm. How many know that fire burns up bushes? But this is what, this is the reason why God chose Moses, I believe. And Moses said, what's he say right here? I will now turn aside and see the great sight why the bush is not burned. Didn't just catch his attention. He stopped what he was doing to turn and spend time with God. That is what makes you a person who goes from being called to being chosen. Is where you're called by God when the bush is burning. But when you stop everything and turn and focus on what God is doing in your life, then God can use you and choose you. Amen? That's what makes the difference in everybody's life is you may recognize all your life a move of God, a burning bush in your life. But when you stop and say, I'm going to look into this, I'm going to look into this God, I'm going to give my life to this moment, that's when God says, hey, I'm glad you stopped because I have a plan for your life. And you just initiated it by your attention to it. Yes. Well, I'm preaching already. I think I'll just keep moving right along. I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Next verse. And when the Lord saw that he turned, see, that's, that's the proof. I really feel like that's the proof to what I'm saying. Because when he turned, the Lord saw it. God called unto him 
out in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. That is your only answer you have to God when he calls. Not how good you are at something, not how many skills you have, how much talent you have. When God says, Mallory, your answer is, here am I. I present myself to God. And so that's what Moses did, and he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet. Why is he having him take off his shoes? Does anybody know why he's having him take off his shoes? For the place whereon thou standeth is holy ground. The reason why he had him take off his shoes is because he doesn't want anything man-made between you and God. Think about that for a minute. No programs, no religion made by man. He doesn't want anything between you and God. Amen? So he said, take off what's on your feet that's man-made because I want nothing between you and the holy ground you're standing on. Because when God touches something, it becomes holy. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Today, I'm praying that God helps us to understand that Moses didn't see himself as a masterpiece, but God did. Bow your heads with me quickly. Lord, we just ask you to anoint the word, the hearing, the planting, the seed sown. Water it as you do. Help somebody else to come along and water as well. Lord God, we believe that we are able to stand in your presence today only because of your grace. So let that grace infect us, abide with us here, and, and help us to understand that if we turn aside, if we focus on you, if we give you everything that we are and present ourselves to you, no matter how broken that is, you can make a masterpiece out of it. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You may be seated. If you call the Federal Bureau of Investigation right now and you say these six words, and that's all you say, they know what you're talking about. If you say, I know where the paintings are, that's all you have to say, they know you will be talking about the greatest art heist that ever took place in history, and that is the stealing of the Rembrandts and the Vermeers from the Isabel Gardner Museum. I talked a little bit about it last week, but I want you to know that they know without you even referring to anything. All you have to say is because they know that the paintings have never been found, and it's almost impossible to find them. And several have made that call and said, I know where they are, and it turned up not being anything because that is the greatest unresolved art heist of all times. The, the robbing of the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston and that museum is still there to this day in those places where, where you can go and visit that are still open at this time in our, in our COVID situation. If it's open, you can go visit. You can buy a ticket and you can walk through that art museum. The Gardner Heist is now valued at $500 million. That time it was less, but those paintings would have accrued. They cut them out of the frames. Two, two security guards were tied up by people, by two men that pretended to be police officers. And they spent over an hour and a half in the museum stealing artwork. It's not only the longest heist of time, but it's also the most valuable heist. The lost Rembrandts and Vermeer originals still have a, to this day, right now, still have a reward for them of $10 million, but have never been found. It's an interesting story, and maybe it's a story that 
is a little bit overdone because I talked about it a little bit last week, but it is the most lucrative reward out there right now for any um, stolen, lost art. It's, it's the, the, the desire for it to be solved is, is still there, yet the masterpieces are still missing. Gardner built this Brookline mansion just to house, just to, to place on the walls the, the beautiful masterpieces. To display the artwork in prominence, its design was a Venetian palace, complete with columns, stone arches, and an open courtyard filled with lush greenery, all for these masterpieces. But the problem is the masterpieces were missing. They were stolen from that museum. If you visit the museum right now, the frames are still hanging on the walls with the masterpieces missing. Much like what you see here, we kind of created the backdrop to create an understanding of the fact that there is something so valuable that someone is willing to hang the frame where it used to be. And remember what once was there. Gardner died in 1924, and in the absence of heirs, she left everything to the public with one catch. According to her will, the works could not be rearranged, sold, or donated, and new art could not be added to the museum. If those conditions were violated in any way, the entire collection, along with the house and the land, the mansion and the land, would be turned over to Harvard. The walls of the Gardner Museum have remained unchanged ever since. I want you to know that God considers you a masterpiece. And he does not plan on the walls of heaven to stay the same. He does not plan on masterpieces not being added. He plans to change and put new people in the halls of heaven. Amen. Every single Sunday, somebody should recognize that they're a masterpiece. And there's a glaring blank spot in heaven for them. There's a, there's a frame waiting for their life. The greatest tragedy. The greatest tragedy of art is that it cannot be added to. If you're an art collector, you know you never stop collecting. And if you're Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you of great worth, he never stops collecting, amen? He wants your soul. He wants your life. He wants to make something beautiful out of you. And he can do it. He's able. Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Much like Isabel Isabella Gardner, she prepared a mansion for her masterpieces. I want you to know that Jesus has prepared a mansion for you. He's prepared a place for you, for his masterpieces. Isabella Gardner died and said, you cannot add. She got it all wrong. I want you to know that. Because Jesus died and said, add masterpieces. In fact, I will add to my church daily, he said. You are originals. You are an exceptional individual. You are different from others because when you place yourself in the hands of Jesus Christ, he makes you more than you could ever be. You are a masterpiece, and he wants you in his mansion. Amen. He has prepared a place for you. And I know I've, I personally have had the story of looking at my life. And can I share some personal moments? Can I do like Moses in the scripture where he said, but Lord, I, I'm not really good at speaking. I, I stutter. I, I, how am I going to lead a people out of Egypt whenever I can't even talk well? 
And God's like, am I not the maker of the tongue? Didn't I not create the mouth to work? Can I not give you words to say? Are you, the, the truth is when he was talking about himself, he was limiting God. And so God's anger was kindled against him, and he said, well, then take Aaron. And if you follow the story of Moses, he becomes a great leader to the people. But when they run out of water in a desert place, the Bible says that the Lord told him to speak to a rock. And instead, he struck the rock with his staff in anger. You want to know why God keeps bringing you back to the same lessons that you fail sometimes? Is because he wants to know if you trust him enough to do what he says. And so whenever God was asking him to go and he said, my mouth doesn't work well, when he needed a miracle, he told him, use your mouth to do it. So the reason why we see Moses get in trouble for using the staff. Yes, the staff worked to open the Red Sea. Yes, the staff worked for other miracles. He threw it down, and it became a snake, and he jumped back. Of course, you would jump back, too, if you threw a stick down, and it became a snake. And then he said, grab it by the tail. Sometimes the things that scare you the most, you just need to sneak up on them and grab them by the tail, amen? So he grabbed it by the tail, and it turned back into a snake. And then, of course, we know there were other miracles that he did. But the reason why God said, speak to the rock, is because you have to understand he wanted him to address the original reason why he told God he can't. And so God was making him into a beautiful masterpiece and removing all the things that he said he couldn't be so that he could be everything God wanted him to be. And that's what God has done for me. I don't know if he's done that for you. Do you have that story? That God has taken things slowly out of your life and made life even more interesting, more beautiful, given you stories to tell, things to share. And I promise you it gets better if you give the pieces to the one who can make masterpieces. I am an example of that. <clears throat> Growing up in a home where we didn't know how to manage money at all, Brother Rob. When we got our welfare check, it was time to go to the store and get a candy bar because when you got money, you spent it. You didn't save. You spent it. Sorry if I share a personal moment, but whenever I grew up, I grew up thinking that you took advantage of anything you got. And so I had to learn how to rework my thinking and not take advantage of everything that showed up in my life and learn how not to be a manipulator and a controller because I learned to manipulate and control in order to survive. I had to survive. And so I manipulated and controlled my environment out of a need for safety because I was abused when I was younger. And so my abuse was hide in my room. My abuse was stay away from that situation. And I would manipulate and I would control my life to make sure that I was safe. But while I was doing that, I was actually creating in myself a habit where I wanted to control everything. How many know that control is an illusion? That we really don't have control of anything? And what we think we control is actually not in control sometimes. And we think the moments that we have control, it only takes a little while. In fact, the areas that you think you're winning at right now, there's something where you're losing. You just don't know it yet. And it's going to show up in about a month. And you're like, oh, I forgot to pay that bill. 
or something, something will happen. And then you'll realize that throughout your life, all the time, even the places where you think you are in, in control, they're too heavy for you. And you should not surrender your life to manipulating and trying to control everything. Instead, you sur- should surrender control to God because he is actually able to control things better than you can. Amen. And I heard a sermon this week that laid it out so beautifully that you are not designed to be under the weight of controlling things. Control weight is a God weight, and you cannot, nor are you designed to handle the weight of controlling your life. You have to give it to the Lord because he is the God of all control. He has the shoulders and the ability and the resources to handle control in your life. You do not. So when you take on control of your life and try to, I feel the Holy Ghost right now, so I know someone needs to hear this. When you try to control everything in your life, you also take on your shoulders a weight that you humanly are not able to lift, and it will mess up your mind. It will mess up your health. It'll mess up your spirituality because you're trying to do a God job and you're not strong enough to control your own life. God is able to control it. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. He said, though even if heaven attacks my life, I will still serve the Lord. And God honored that because Job gave him the pieces of what was left. Even though he had lost everything when he handed over the pieces to God, at the end, he was a masterpiece because God gave him double for his trouble, amen? And so I want to tell you, even though I grew up a mess, I'm trusting God to make me into a masterpiece. Anybody have enough faith to trust God to make your mess into a masterpiece? I'm glad to see that. I really am. I really am glad to see that. Because this is the house where we celebrate masterpieces. While you're still a mess, we praise him for where we're headed. Amen? We praise him that there is a place prepared for us in the halls of heaven where God's going to say, look at what I've done with your life. You didn't think you had any control, but I was working it out behind the scenes. You might have thought that it was never going to work out, but because you kept on surrendering it to me and presenting yourself to me and coming back to me, when it hurt, you brought your pain to me. When it was difficult, you brought it to me. When you need healing, you brought it to me. And every single time, no matter whether it turns out the way we think or expect or not, God will make it all that he wants it to be. For he works all things together for good. God used, God used Moses to make a people that knew very little about God. How many know how long the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt? 430 years, yeah, an extra 30. They started crying out to God. 400 years was the prophecy. They began to cry out to God and took them 430 years to leave. But God, through Moses, the one that said, I I can't do it, took a people that didn't know anything but idols, that called on God, took them from slaves to becoming a people, and from a people to becoming a tribe, tribes, and from tribes to becoming a nation. And to this day, Jerusalem is still 74.2% Jewish to this day. Because God protects and holds together those that surrender to him. That's a physical, you know, geographical place where people, Jewish people gather to. 
and God knows how to keep his people, amen? But even more so, he knows how to preserve a life that's left in his care. Are you glad you have someone to take your life to? Are you glad you have someone to give your life to? Are you glad that you have a God who will keep you and will sustain you? Because the truth is today, hear me carefully, we are not very good at handling masterpieces. Go ahead and Google it. How many expensive masterpieces have been destroyed by accident? It's staggering the number of people who have accidentally stuck something through an original canvas. And so it, it, it blows my mind that there's people that, I found several different stories. I found about three or four different stories. And the reason why I say it's staggering is because the loss of the, the, the original is so expensive. The truth is we don't know how to handle. We don't know how to care very well for originals. Are they originals? Yes. Are they, have, do they have great value? Yes. But there's a reason why we put masterpieces in museums. Behind bulletproof glass and in places where people cannot get to them. Because sometimes we are our own big, our, our biggest enemy is enemy. <laughs> our biggest enemy is us. And so we don't do well keeping things that are worth that much. So I want to tell you today a story as I finish today. And I want you to understand that the word of God is very clear that when we handle the things that we're not supposed to handle, we break them more. But when we take broken things and we hand them off to God, he mends them together. And he gathers a church and he builds his people and he alters our life to make us something beautiful. And the beautiful thing about God is he puts us in a place of repair even though we don't know it. We'll go through a struggle and come out the other side and look back and go, that brought to the surface the thing that I needed healing all along. And while we'll call it a trial, it's actually become, it becomes a triumph. And we can say, like Scripture said, it was good that I was afflicted. How can you say it's good that you're afflicted? Well, because while I was going through the trial, the thing that I was trying to get fixed and they couldn't find what was wrong, it effervesced to the surface and it came out in that trial. And God used the trial to teach me and to mold me and to heal me to fix that one thing that kept on disrupting my entire life. Amen. And so when I look back at it, I can say it was good that I was afflicted. Because I found the thing that was dismantling all my other dreams. And so the story I want to share with you is about the mishandling of a masterpiece. New York Times and Forbes magazine listed Mr. Steve Wynn as being worth $2.7 billion. No, million dollars. M. In 2001, he bought a precious painting his, as a lover of art, he loved the paintings of Pablo Picasso. And he bought the Le Rev, which means the dream by Picasso. He paid some chump change for it of $50 million. How many would like to buy, have that kind of discretionary income? I think I'll buy something to hang on the wall for $50 million. It became the centerpiece of his artwork he moved it from his home that was on the Las Vegas Strip. He made his millions by building out and re, re, 
reconstituting or actually regentrifying the Las Vegas Strip. He wasn't a godly man by any means, but he was a celebratory man, and he loved art. And so he had a little place on the strip, and he moved his centerpiece into his office that he now had because he rebuilt the Bellagio, a bunch of other big motels that are on the strip. He rebuilt all of those in construction and made his fortune in the early 90s. And now he's moved this centerpiece to his office, and he brings in friends. He invites people in just as a conversation piece in order to talk about this amazing piece of artwork. But as artists get... Sometimes they get a little bit, they get a little bit twitchy, and sometimes they get a little bit bored, and so they end up selling masterpieces to buy more masterpieces. And as that happened, he got a little bit bored, so he wants he wanted to buy two other of Picasso's works, and he hatched a plan where he was going to sell the Lareb and buy two other Picasso pieces. And he found a close friend who really liked the piece, named Mr. Cohen. Hang with me for just a minute because I'm going somewhere. His friend decided to buy the piece for $139 million five years later. This piece only took Pablo Picasso five hours from start to finish, and now he was going to buy it for $139 million. So, of course, they made all the arrangements. They had all the assessors come and look at it to make sure it wasn't original, and they took out insurance policies for the transaction, and they began to make their way toward the closing date where the painting would be transferred by armored vehicle to Mr. Cohen's residence or the place that he wanted it to be taken to. And so, of course, in normal Steve Wynn fashion, he decided to have a celebration around the Picasso for one last time. And he called called and wrote invitations and sent them out. Gloria Estevan was one of the individuals that was invited. And they gathered around this this $139 million piece of art and had a celebration. And of course, Mr. Wynn, being very flamboyant, tend to kind of sling his arms when he was talking and get excited. And he unfortunately began to... talk to all of his friends about this amazing painting as they were invited and had now showed up. But he began to suffer as he aged. Now, at this point, he began to suffer from retinitis pigmentosa. Did I say that right? My wife is an optician, so she helps me with this. Retinitis pigmentosa, which is actually, he began to get bad vision. And when you get bad vision, you get bad balance. And so you probably know where this story is going. Mr. Flamboyant accidentally tripped while sharing about how great this piece was and how he found it. Flinging his arms, he trips and falls backwards and sticks an elbow through the priceless work of art. The loss was great. And he got up, and the first thing he said, is anybody dead? Everybody's okay. He said, it's a good thing that I did it and you did not because he owned it. And so he gets on the phone, and he calls Mr. Cohen, and he stumbles, and he stutters, and he says, I I tripped, and I ruined one of the most beautiful pieces of artwork in the world. He said, you can do one of two things. Either you can redeem the insurance policy and get all of your $139 million, or I will buy it back from you, even though it's torn and ripped and worth nothing. And of course, Mr. Cohen didn't have to get off the phone because he knew that Steve was truly an artist, lover. He, he truly loved art, and he knew 
that he was investing in it for its investment. He wasn't investing in it because he loved art. He said, I knew immediately I was going to give it back to Steve. So he gave it back to Steve, and the search began over the world for something you may have never known existed, but it's called an art surgeon. An art surgeon is not only precise, but they're able to stitch together places that are torn and masterpieces to the point where you cannot see where they were torn before. But they have to be examined. They have to be looked over by the surgeon, and you have to get a designation from him as to whether they can do the work. And so, of course, they carefully sent off the art piece that was damaged. And the art surgeon that they found examined it looked at the rip, looked at the way the art was done, the way the paint was set into the canvas. And Mr. Wynn got a phone call after quite some time, and the artist, the examiner, <clears throat> had a conversation, and he said, I can restore it. I can restore it. I want you to know today in this story I'm sharing with you because I want you to be impressed by the fact that something so priceless that is lost can be restored by human hands. I want you to know how much more can God can take some, a God who has all power and all authority and is sovereign and can do anything. He is a good and mighty God, amen? He can take what is lost, given to him, and he can begin to stitch it and sew it back together and repair it. If this man can restore a great work of art, God can restore whatever mess you have and make it into a masterpiece. I sure want you to believe that today. I want you to leave here with the understanding that no matter how many times you fell into that sin, no matter how many times you've messed up or made mistakes, or no matter how many times you feel like you've used God's grace, God can still take it. God can still use it. God can still turn it around. In fact, he's the best one to do it. You may not know how he can do it, but there is a God who can use anything for his glory. In fact, he has a history of choosing people nobody else would choose and making them into masterpieces. In fact, when you, when you look at the story, he said, when I'm done with it, you won't be able to tell there was ever a tear or rip in the canvas from the front. But if you look to the back of the canvas, it'll always show the story where the stitches are and where the sutures are and where I carefully pulled the piece back together where it was separated. I want you to know that in this time of heavy difficulty and crisis in our world, God is stitching his church back together. And God is pulling people in that were not going to come in. And he's putting people back in their place in the masterpieces, in the, in the halls of masterpieces. I want you to know that God's going to reach people that he would have never been able to reach had our country and our, our society not been torn by some of the things it's been torn by right now. And nobody is going to be able to put it back together. The government won't be able to do enough stimulus checks. There won't be enough help outside of God. If you give it to God, if we give it to God, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, you know I've, helped, I've brought that 
scripture up several times, and I'm trying to wrap this down, but if we will give it to God, even the pieces that we have no control over, if we give it to God, he will begin to create a revival and a masterpiece out of his church again. This is not the first time, brothers and sisters. Look at the first church in the scriptures. They were a mess, but he made a masterpiece that we live after. We pattern our lives after. To this day, we try and strive to be like the first church in the scriptures. And so I want to tell you that that surgeon promised Mr. Wynn he could make it new again. But he said it's going to take two things. It's going to take patience and it's going to take time. And what's, what repairs our life is when we keep presenting it to God and we have patience and we give God time to repair us. 2013, the painting was sold in its repaired state. Not for $139 million, but for $155 million. And so I've come to tell somebody that if a painting can grow $19 million after being absolutely lost and re-sewn together again by careful hands, how much more can God show up and stitch us back together? And though the enemy and the devil and the, the, the liar of this world would like to tell you that you're worthless because you've been destroyed, I will only agree with him in part. Number one, if he says you're not worth as much as you would have been, then I want to tell you that that lie is truly a lie. Maybe you have stumbled. Maybe you have fallen. Maybe it was financially. Maybe it was in your character. Maybe it was in fidelity. Maybe you, you found yourself addicted to pornography. Maybe you found places where you ran to with the pieces that were broken in your life. It's not good to give the pieces to anything else, brothers and sisters. Don't give the broken pieces to a bottle. Do not give the broken pieces to a drug. Do not give the broken pieces to alcohol or to nicotine or to something else. They do not have the ability to pull you back together again. Only God can stitch you back together again. The lie of the enemy is you are not worth anything because you were completely broken. The devil will say something like when, when God left you, it's because God didn't want you. You're now struggling with addictions because God wasn't able to do it for you, but that's just not the case. The devil will say that you're not worth as much in your broken form, but the truth of the matter is he died on that cross for your broken form. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Do you understand how valuable you are? I'm trying to communicate that in this series. And the master surgeon steps in and gets a hold of your pieces. Don't give it to the bottle. Don't give it to other things, but give it to Jesus Christ who shed precious blood for you and knows how to heal you. I want you to know that when you give your life and the broken pieces to him, he can make a masterpiece and you are going to be worth more than you were to begin with when he's done with you. When God finishes, you will be worth more than your broken pieces. God will put you on display and say, look what I've done with what they gave me. The world says, look what I have with what you gave me. Jesus said, look what I've made with what you gave me. 
Don't put your brokenness in the wrong hands, brothers and sisters. I commend you at the end of this sermon, please take the pieces. Pastor, you don't know how many times I've tried, but when 12 o'clock hits and I'm still sitting up, I, I get on that website. Pastor, you don't know how many times I've tried. I, I, just, I just can't seem to get it right. I want you to know that God has grace. I'm not talking about premeditated sin right now. I'm talking about God is able to take what's broken in you that you cannot change and you cannot control, and he will make you new. But if you look at the back of the canvas of our lives, you're going to see the places where we were torn and we were broken. The story will always be there. There's always a backside to every blessing, amen? And so if you look at the story of my life, you'll see the places where it was torn. You'll see a young man trying to go to Bible college that was addicted to pornography. You'll see someone that wanted to. If you want, if you want less real in this church, you're not going to get it because I'm, very real, I'm a very real person. And if you're dealing with something right now, you can come to me and talk to me about it because I have sutures in my backstory. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm only a masterpiece because I gave it to the master. And every time, every time I took him the pieces, he wove me back together again. And I'm finishing this service with a call to you. If you would stand with me right now, a call to you to say, give God the pieces. Give God the broken places. Because he's a restorer. He's a renewer. He can bring you to places you never thought you could go to. Moses had no idea he was going to need lead nearly a million people out of Egypt. The place where he left a murderer was where he went back to be a Messiah. Do you understand what I'm saying? God wants to flip the script on the places where you've shed tears. God wants to take the places where you were sad and turn them into places where now you're happy or glad. I want God to do that work in you more than you could even understand. And so I'm saying today, do like Job. Just give yourself to the Lord. Give the pieces. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I ask you to add somebody to the halls of heaven in, in this place today or online. The pieces in the master's hand is what creates masterpieces. And I pray there's a resonating prayer that stays in the heart of every human being that's hearing this sermon today. And I pray that prayer is four words that groan through the spiritual prayer of intercession through the moments of difficulty, through the moments of feeling like tragedy has come, till they see triumph in every area. I pray that prayer makes its way to the surface, and that's make me a masterpiece. Would you lift your hands and pray that toward heaven today? Would you just say, Lord, make me a masterpiece? I don't have control of anything. I, I, I'd like to think that I do sometimes, but I really don't, Lord. But I give you, I sur come on, somebody surrender control right now. In your surrender, you'll find salvation. In your moments of breaking, you'll find someone who can put you back together again. 
I'm going to open this altar. We do an altar call here, and I want you to come. If you can think of pieces that are broken, bring them to the altar. Kneel before the Lord and just lay those pieces mentally before the Lord and say, Lord, you, you can put this back together. I can't. My relationship's broken. My situation's broken. Whatever it is you're dealing with, come and give that to the Lord right now. They're going to bring the lights down in this room as a, as a way of making this whole place into a place of prayer. As we finish this sermon today, come on, don't be like Moses and say, Lord, I can't. But say, Lord, make me. Make me a masterpiece. There's someone right now that's going to give something to God today. I believe this. And God's going to take it and change it. You were looking at the backside of the canvas saying, look at all of these tears. Look at all of these scars. Look at all these hurt places. And God's saying, but turn it around. I can turn it around. And nobody will know the difference. You'll be a beautiful masterpiece when I'm done. You will know the places you were torn. But I will make them into places where you triumph. Somebody give God the pieces today. Somebody give God the pieces today. Somebody give God the broken pieces. He might mend you together. He might mend you together again. Restore in this place, Lord God. Come on, give God time and patience. He'll heal it. He'll restore it. The word restore comes from the word rest. Rest in Jesus today. Rest in your God to do the work. I know maybe your expectations have been violated. You thought God would step in already. You thought God would repair it by now, but it's not repaired yet. But he is still working. Give him time. Give him your patience, and he will do a perfect work in your life. I give you the pieces. I give you my patience. Come on, there's someone doing that right now. I give you the pieces, and I give you my patience, Jesus. Take time with me, Lord. Take time with me, Lord. Take no one could express how much you deserve.